Welcome to ADHD is over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is over. Hello, hello, and welcome back to our podcast. Hope you're having a good time where you're at. We are nearing the new year, 2022. I'm excited because I'm looking forward to many more amazing guests on this podcast, experts, authors, specialists around ADHD, but not just ADHD. And I think that's what makes our podcast special because too many experts are just focused on ADHD. They have blinders on in a sense because they're not looking outside. We are a connected being, connected body. We're all connected. You know, there is a link between what we see and hear or take in through our senses and how our brain develops. Our brain isn't an isolated organism that is born faulty or, or not. That's just not the reality. So we have to look at everything from environment. We have to look from environment to uh, uh, the media we consume, right? Where we live geographically, what education system we expose our children to. How are the parents doing in the household? How is the marriage or the relationship doing, right? What kind of parenting uh, are we applying and so forth? Everything matters. And that's why we bring you experts from many fields, not just ADHD, not just mental health. Because I do believe that that is what is limiting our view on the so-called disorder. Hence, we are stuck in this one this one track that's a pro-label, pro-medication, and the child is the problem kind of track. And that's not what we support. That is fine. If, if anybody wants to be on that track and it works for you, great. It's just not our mission. It's not our track. So that said, I want to do a short episode on ADHD medication and violence. It's a heavy episode. It's not an easy one to digest, but we have to look at all sides when it comes to medication. You know, often parents hear, and this is not just ADHD, this has been done with many other drugs, is also currently happening with our vaccines. And again, we're not anti-vaccination. But when I hear this drug is safe and effective, I expect that drug to be safe and effective. Now, the effective part, you know, debatable, Right When you want something that's effective and you're in so much pain right now, yes, you want it to be effective right away. Right, If you wake up from, from a surgery and you have so much pain and you just cannot take it and there's a drug that, you know, you want that drug to be effective, not, well, it's kind of effective, right? But when it comes to safety, I think that's the more important one in this statement, safe and effective. When it comes to safety, we shouldn't be cutting corners, what does that mean when I hear from the authorities that a drug is safe and effective? What I'm expecting is a very, 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 very small rate of, of adverse effects or, or injuries or death, right? Nobody really knows. We don't have like a human, like a moralistic kind of uh, number. 
right? A threshold. What is too many? I think the FDA has one, should have one, although it's also not clear because we have pulled medications off the shelf after, you know, 500 uh, adverse effect and seven deaths, right? There's certain numbers out there and don't quote me on these numbers, but you know, once we've had a good amount of deaths, we've pulled it off the shelf. Now, when it comes to the opioid crisis, as you uh, heard me talk about uh, the series on Hulu called Dope Sick with Michael Keaton that portrays the sort of, you know, back uh, backdoor story of the Sackler family creating the opioid crisis and not taking responsibility for it, right? Advertising the drug is not addictive, only less than 1% of people will be addictive. It's kind of like saying this is safe and effective. And then realizing there's a there's a huge damage that was done, right? And so in cases like that, at some point, the FDA finally, or the court system, the lawyers, the, 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 the uh, DAs finally jumped in, put a halt to it. But it was a bit too late because thousands had died. Millions had been affected by this drug, addicted to it, right? So there's got to be a threshold somewhere. And I'm pretty sure that the threshold isn't above a few hundred people dying. Because the moment we have a drug where there's a few hundred people that have died from that drug, I mean, we ought to pull the drug off the market. I hope you agree. Now, in this case, in the case of ADHD medications, I'm going to read you an article from a law firm in Los Angeles that specializes in these medication-induced violence lawsuits. And they're advocating for the victims of dangerous psychiatric medications and, and drugs. So they've done a lot of research into this. And I'm quoting it from their site. And uh, my goal is to have one of their attorneys who specializes in these kind of lawsuits uh, on our podcast in the coming year. And again, this is not about COVID. But same thing uh, that I wanted to mention around COVID when it said that the vaccines are safe and effective. There's been close to 20,000 deaths recorded on the CDC's uh, recording, you know, the VAERS vaccine adverse effect reporting system. So when we say safe and effective, I, I think we are not telling the truth. We can say fairly safe under emergency use, mostly effective, but please make your own choice judge for yourself, but no, 20,000 people have died just in the U.S. alone. And many, 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 many more have had adverse effects. So it's not like Russian roulette, but it's starting to be a little bit like that. And the same thing goes for ADHD medications. I know many families who've, you know, who, who decided to medicate their children. And again, there's no judgment here. If, if that's what you must do or choose to do, and you're happy on that path, please stick to your, you know, trust your gut feeling, stick to that path and, and continue if it's uh, uh, fulfilling you, right? That's ultimately is what we want is you for you to choose the right solution for your family. And then after that, you experience what you experience and you adjust just like uh, what I always say with our intuition, we, we um, you know, you have to trust your intuition and we, we calibrate it, right? Something doesn't work. We realized, oh, we made a mistake. Okay, then we adjust, right? So no judgment there. But if you're on that path, you must know some of the facts, or I think you should be aware of some of the facts that I'm going to read 
uh, from from this uh, law firm's website, uh, referring to certain studies by the FDA uh, as far back as 2006, but some updated ones of 2015. And the reason why I'd like to read this, and even though it's a 2006 study, uh, again, it shows how long we've known. I mean, if you look at 2006, right? That is now, I mean, what are we looking at? It's, it's 17 or 16 years ago, right? We've known. So here we go. This is about ADHD, medication, and violence. In 2006, the FDA's ADHD psychiatric review team called for stronger warnings on ADHD drugs after a safety review found almost 1,000 case reports of psychosis, including hallucinations or mania related to Adderall, Concerta, Ritalin, and Stratera submitted to the agency by drug makers between January 1st, 2000 and June 30th. 2005. So this is only, you know, for five years, right? During this five-year period. These symptoms came in children with no identifiable risk factors at usual doses of any of the drugs used to treat ADHD. So these are regular kids that were diagnosed with ADHD and then treated with drugs for ADHD and their physician or their psychologist or psychiatrist gave them the, the suggested dose, right? Nothing crazy going on. This is during five years, They've had almost a thousand cases reporting psychosis, hallucinations, and mania related to those ADHD drugs. There was a complete absence of these ADHD medication side effects in children treated with dummy pills during clinical trials. And in many children, the symptoms stopped when the drugs were withdrawn and resumed when they were restarted. So clearly from this statement, you can hear that it was evident that these drugs caused such psychosis, hallucinations, and mania, mania, right? Because when they stopped, those symptoms stopped. And when they resumed, the symptoms restarted. And for the dummy pills, for the kids taking dummy pills, nothing happened, right? So in addition to the case reports submitted by manufacturers, there were 560 reports of psychosis, or mania submitted to the FDA via its MedWatch reporting system. So this is the FDA's reporting system. It is estimated that only about 1% of adverse side effects are reported to the FDA. This suggests that over 100,000 children diagnosed with ADHD may have become psychotic or manic while taking ADHD drugs during this five and a half year period. I guess five and a half, not five years, five and a half, right? So they're saying, look, only about a 1% of adverse side effects are actually reported to the FDA, whether parents don't feel like reporting it or they don't want to. Uh, maybe there's an issue of anonymity. There's a feeling of guilt, right? But many of these uh, cases are not reported. I'm not sure if I would go with saying it's only 1%. Maybe it's higher. Who knows? But the point here is to say, when we talk about a thousand cases in a five and a half year period, it's probably not just a thousand. It's probably way more than that, way more, somewhere between a thousand and a hundred thousand. Even if we split it in the middle, to be fair, you have 50,000 children that, that could have been, you know, experiencing some form of psychosis, hallucinations, or mania related to taking ADHD drugs. So again, that's on the FDA's website. You can look this up. Their reporting system is called MedWatch. And whether you are somebody who's pro-FDA or anti-FDA, it doesn't really matter. But currently, 
that's the main authority domain system in place. So we're not making these numbers up. This this uh, law firm did uh, an extensive research on this. Obviously, that's what they specialize in. So these are these are facts. Okay, this review of marketed experience with amphetamine, dextroamphetamine, Adderall, atomoxetine, stratera, metylphenidate, Ritalin, Concerta, and modafinil, Provigil, presents compelling evidence for a likely causal association between each of these four drugs and treatment emergent onset of signs and or symptoms of psychosis or mania, notably hallucinations in some patients. And then they cite uh, the study again. It's the Food and Drug Administration Center for Drug Evaluation and Research. It was entitled Psychiatric Adverse Events Associated with Drug Treatment of ADHD, Review of Post-Marketing Safety Data. This is in 2006. Again, you can look this up. We're going to have some links here in the show notes. The same safety review reported numerous post-marking reports of aggression, or violent behavior during drug therapy of ADHD. In approximately 20% of the cases, the behavior was considered life-threatening or required hospitalization. The majority of the reports of ADHD violent behavior were for children and adolescents, most of whom had no specific risk factors for aggression or violent behavior. So these are not kids that were already you know, ag aggressive or violent before they, they went on the ADHD drugs. It happened due or after taking the drugs. According to the report, a striking majority, 80 to 90% overall of patients, had no prior history of similar events. Drug makers submitted over 1,400 reports of ADHD aggression or violent behavior with over 700 additional cases reported to MedWatch. The FDA report establishes an unmistakable tie between ADHD medication and violence. Now, you have to remember, the fact that drug makers have submitted over 1,400 reports probably means that there's way more that went on. For them to report 1,400 reports, I'm just going to be straight with y'all, but the pharmaceutical industry, Big Pharma, doesn't have a, a shining track record of integrity. Almost every single pharmaceutical company has been sued. Most of them have been proven guilty and have had to pay millions, sometimes up to like two or three billion dollars, right, in damages. And so when we're talking about an industry that doesn't have a shining, positive, integrity kind of reputation when it comes to reporting or telling the truth, then when I hear that the drug makers submitted over 1,400 reports of ADHD aggression or violent behavior, uh, over 700 additional cases, right, reported to this uh, FDA's MedWatch reporting system, then I believe that it was way more than that. But hey, thank you for reporting at least there's 1,400 solid, you know, reports that these drugs caused aggression and violent behavior. So let's continue. Over 31 medications are linked to violence. In 2010, Thomas Moore, a senior scientist at the Institute for Safe Medical Practice, ISMP, and Joseph Glenmullen, a clinical instructor in psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, published a joint study on prescription medication-induced violence, finding that 31 prescription medications are disproportionately linked to reports of violent behavior. And by the way, we're going to link to that study as well in the show notes. 
In the study, Moore and Glenmullen extracted serious adverse event reports from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, adverse event reporting system, searching for any drugs with 200 or more case reports received from 2004 to 2009. Again, about a five-year period. They selected any reports that indicated homicide, homicidal ideation, physical assault, physical abuse, or violence-related symptoms, and then used mathematical and statistical methods to identify drugs that were significantly more associated with those reports compared to other drugs. Out of 484 medications, they evaluated 31, that's only 6%, but still, right, 31 medications out of 484 were significantly more associated with violence. All but seven of the drugs were psychiatric drugs. All of the 31, but, but seven of them, right? So that's 24 of the drugs were psychiatric drugs that were significantly more associated with violence. So per the study, the medications below were the most strongly associated with violent adverse events. I'm going to definitely butcher some of these names, but let's go for it. Varenicline, Shantix, Paroxetine, Paxil, Mefaquine, Larium, Trizolam, Halcyon, Venlafaxine, Efexor, Fluoxetine, Prozac, amphetamines, atomoxetine, Stratera, fluvo, fluvoxamine, Luvox, desvenlafaxine, Prestique. Wow, I definitely butchered a lot of them. Again, we're going to link to this so you can see it for yourself. An update of this study by rxisk.org extended the analysis through December 2014 and added data from Health Canada. The results essentially confirmed the original findings, though the rankings were somewhat different. ADHD medications and antidepressants still ranked high on the list and with a broader definition of violence that included suicide. I was going to mention that above. With violence, suicide is always included. Violence against oneself, right? Ritalin moved much higher in the RXISK rankings. That's important for parents because Ritalin is still heavily spread all over the country. It's still around. It's been around for a while. Another 2015 study by researchers in Finland further corroborates Moore's findings. The Finnish researchers collected data on all homicides investigated by police in Finland from 2003 to 2011. They found antidepressants increased the risk of homicide by 30%, and benzodiazepines, anti-anxiety drugs such as Valium, Xanax, Halcyon, and I think it's Halcyon, and Clonopin, more than double the homicide risk. Now look, this is about the public's right to know about medication-induced violence. That's why this law firm does what they do. That's why I wanted to make an episode about this, because as parents, we need to be aware of the risk, potential risk. Now look, your son or your daughter may never experience any hallucination, any mania, psychosis, have any aggression or violence. Absolutely. 
this is not 100 is not to say 100% of the children that are on ADHD medication will experience this. But it's also never like that for any drug or any scientific study. It's never 100%. Nothing ever works 100% or doesn't work 100%. But when we have a high percentage of cases showing up that prove that ADHD medications in this case do induce these kind of hallucinations, aggressions, mania, ultimately aggression and violence towards oneself, towards others. When there's such a high number out there doing that, then I could not sleep knowing that parents aren't aware of these studies, aren't aware of these numbers. Because we usually don't hear parents talk about this because they're shamed, ridiculed, or they feel guilty that they medicated their children and now something happened, or they want to hide it, right? They want to hide the fact that they were the ones, you know, that put their kids on medication and now their kid committed a school shooting. And, you know, why would you go out in public? And, well, I'm not saying why would you, but it's hard, right, to go out on, 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 in public and say, oh, I think I know what happened. I think it might have something to do with it. Not like it was the only thing that contributed to that. Look, I always say, when there's a school shooting or, or some act of extreme violence, it's not just one thing. You know, we really have to look at the entire environment. We have to look at parenting, the household, uh, any abuse, divorce, drugs, alcohol. We have to look at everything. And of course, as they prove here, we have to also look at what medications our children are on, right? But my point was that it's not something that parents gladly will admit or come out and go in public and say, oh yeah, this is what happened, right? So therefore, I believe there are a lot of uh, children out there who are aggressive, who have violent thoughts due to medication, and we're just not admitting it. We're not stepping up and saying, you know what, this could have something to do with it. What can we do? Well, black label the medications will have extensive, you know, you could say it's almost like a safety meeting before you put a child on medication. As a physician, as a psychiatrist, psychologist, as anyone who prescribes these drugs to children should never look a parent in the eye and say, look, don't worry, they're safe and effective. That's just not the truth. It's not true. What they could say, and I'm no copywriter for them, but what they could say is, look, mostly these drugs have shown to be fairly safe. There's been some adverse reactions. Um, there has been deaths and extreme acts of violence that are linked to it but it's a small percentage, you know, I'm okay with, with that. It's not a huge percentage. It's a small percentage. But um, if you start on a low dose, if you use it as a Band-Aid for a time being, for a few months, for a year, uh, until you situate your family, household, until you switch schools, until you really look at all the areas, you know, uh, you know, and you want to try this. Yes, other kids have tried it and, and, you know, mostly it's safe and it's fairly effective. 
that's an honest conversation that if I was a parent, I would appreciate an expert telling me that straight faced with integrity, ultimately also pointing me to some links where it shows that it's effective, where it shows that it's safe, and ultimately some links that show that it also has been not safe and not effective for others. So you, the parent, you can actually choose in the end if you want to do this or not, right? That's how we ought to be talking about medication or any of these extreme measures before we give this to our children who are as, as young uh, nowadays as three years old, you know, getting medicated at three years old. So they have no say. This is not asking a preteen or a teenager at 14 years old, uh, you know, are you willing to try this for a while or, you know, to have a conversation around it. Even then, I think it is a very young body and a young brain, and it's still playing with fire a little bit. But at least they're, you know, they're, they're, they have a say. There's a conversation going on with a three-year-old, four, five-year-old. They just tell, they do what they they're told because their parents are their role models, are their gods and superheroes. It's like, okay, if my mommy wants me to take this, then I take this, right? So again. No hard feelings here. We just need to know the facts on both sides. I always say it's a one-sided, uh, incomplete narrative, and we're here to fill in the blanks on the one side that doesn't get a lot of publicity, press, or attention. And that's the side that's called, hey, there's nothing wrong with your child's brain. Let's look at why your child behaves a certain way since... The diagnosis is really all based on observed behaviors. So the only question, or not the only, but the most important question to ask is why or how come my son or daughter behaves this way? Now we're starting down the right track. Then if medication still is needed or seems like the right thing to do as a band-aid in the meantime, while exploring those, those areas of life, like education, like health and well-being, diet, parenting, you know, family uh, attention, potentially, or marital issues and so forth, right? While we're exploring that, we're using medication as a band-aid. I have no problem with that. Medication has been, that has been medication's role at the beginning. It was, you know, if you came out of a surgery with extreme pain, you would get a medication for that pain. But it wasn't intended for you to keep taking that medication for the rest of your life to not feel pain. That's not what medication's original purpose was. But we often look at it nowadays as such, or people get addicted to a certain medication and it becomes that sort of like, hey, I got to keep taking this for the rest of my life or I'm going to feel like shit, right? AKA coping mechanism you know, not wanting to, to look at our feelings, not wanting to feel, therefore I'm just going to keep taking this. But pain is actually a good thing. Pain is like, you know, a little check engine light that tells us something is off. Something is not at ease, which is why we call it a dis-ease or something is not in order, a disorder. Problem is we've abused those two terms in society and we've made them seem like very heavy things. Something's wrong with this person. They're diseased or disordered, right? Those don't really ring positively in our ears. But that's because we've created an agreement around them that is something wrong with the person. Therefore, we don't want to be around people who are diseased or disordered, right? In essence, I'm generalizing here. But 
That is what these check engine light, these painful things are, just reminders that there's something that needs to be worked, worked on that's much deeper. And while we're doing that deep work, we can use, if we choose to, medication as a Band-Aid, as a crutch for the time being until, you know, we can walk again. That's a metaphor, right? But how this is often presented in our society by our experts is that, well, unless you medicate someone with ADHD for life, they're not going to be, you know, well-functioning adults. They're not going to be able to be healthy and successful. Well, that's not true. That's been debunked a thousand times over that people have or children have had meds and later taken off and they've made something of themselves in the world. I know many of them. I've spoken to many of them. Or children were wrongfully medicated and, and eventually realized there was just some, some childhood PTSD that needed to work on and then those symptoms were gone and those children went to college and made something of them, got married, had kids, successful businesses, and so forth. So it's preposterous to say, oh, unless you medicate a child, they'll never become anything in life. That's just, I don't know if that's even the right word, but it's inhumane almost, you know? And so that's why we want to spread these, these facts around, these column truths. And even if, you know, you could say as a parent, well, who wrote this? What study did they use? How old is this study? Blah, blah, blah. The point is there are reported incidences by, you know, big pharma to the FDA of cases, children who've had psychosis, hallucinations, mania from taking ADHD medication, period. That is a fact. That is one of the risks that you need to be willing to take when medicating your children. And if you're okay with that risk, then you're okay with that risk. No questions asked, no judgment you go girl or boy, you know, make it happen, but just know about it. Be informed. You know, a friend of mine and a, and a visionary thinker out there, Mickey Willis, recently said that we are waking up as a society. For the first time in history, we have a highly informed society. People are starting to do their own research, connecting their own dots that's what our movement is about. And so we encourage you to connect your own dots to not just take the mainstream narrative's messages as the end all, as in that's the truth. We have to dig deeper nowadays. You know, a lot of people ask me and say, it's so confusing out there with fake news and I just don't know who to trust anymore. You have to start trusting yourself. You have to start doing the research and then ultimately trust your own intuition, your internal guidance system that will tell you over time as you calibrated what's right for you and your family and your child. It will tell you. And it's not always going to feel great because you will feel like you're going against the grain. People will try to negate what you believe. People will try to say, oh, that's not true. And CNN said this, and I read this, and Harvard Medical School, and blah, 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 blah. And I could show you a contrary study for each one of those, coming even from the same school, from the same source. There's so much contradiction out there. But when we look at it and we hear both sides, then we can see, oh, okay, for some kids, medication has worked. Others have died. 
if we look at both ends of the extreme spectrum that way, then we can choose and we can listen to our gut feeling and say, okay, let's do this for a while or let's not do this or let's definitely do this. Wherever you fall, you have to trust your own intuition. No one in the future is going to be able to fact check everything for you. That's called a dependency on external sources to tell us what's right or wrong. Now, facts are important, but actually not as important as intuition. Ultimately, we have the say, we get to make the choice based on facts and intuition. If one only goes on, fa on facts, which is mostly left brain, then it's one-sided, right? But if we go with intuition as well as facts, that's a nice balance of right and left brain. Anyway, that's it for today. Just wanted to do a little episode on ADHD medication and violence. Stay tuned this year because I know we're going to have somebody on from this law firm and we're going to talk a little bit deeper on it. Perhaps talk about some cases anonymously. Perhaps hear uh, from some of the lawyers what, what, what they're up against, right? And so forth. And this is not our battle. This is not our mission. We're not here to go after pharma but we are here to present these facts to parents so they can make an informed choice. Anyway, be well. Let's make 2022 rock. If you hear this before New Year's Eve, I wish you a beautiful, fun transition into this new year. And may you create lots of health, success, happiness. You fill in the blank. It's yours. It's available. Until next time.